One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The Rays take three out of four from the Houston Astros after dropping the opener on Thursday. They score 11 runs in three games. Somehow they walk away with this series, the bullpen throwing 13 shutout innings in the Rays' catchers. Well, they caught four out of five base dealers. Terrific series for the Rays against a team that won 100 games the last two years and a World Series. Meanwhile, the Tampa Bay Lightning came out flat on Saturday night against the Caps. They trailed 4 to nothing before getting their first goal. Got within 4-2. to two. They lose 6-3. to three. What about that fight between Eric Chernak and Tom Wilson? It was worth the price of popcorn, but is that very smart? For the Bolts. And what's up with the defense has fallen behind in each of their past four games. The final four is set. Michigan State will play Texas Tech in the national semifinal in Minneapolis. And then in the other semifinal, you'll have Virginia, the only number one seed surviving, uh, facing Auburn. Meanwhile, the Bucks begin their offseason workout program today. Jameis Winston was at Texas A&M throwing to Mike Evans and other receivers. Will Gerald McCoy show up with the rest of the Buccaneers? This afternoon, we've got all that in USF in the CBI championship final against DePaul game one of their best of three series beginning today on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, if you own a business and you'd like to sponsor a part of this podcast, it's easy to do. Our advertisers are showing great success and you will too. Now, there are many different ways you can be a sponsor. For more information, contact us on Twitter at Sports Day TV. Or you can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We would love to have you guys be part of our team. Okay, Steve, I was at the uh, season opener, of course, when uh, Blake Snell got beat on opening day by Justin Verlander, a well-pitched game by Verlander. I would have never have guessed just watching that game and you know, sort of getting a sense of how good Houston is. They've been great the last two years, won over 100 games, of course, a World Series to their credit, that – the Rays would then go on and win three in a row and sweep the Houston Astros with that lineup. And in the process, um, 13 shutout innings by the bullpen, as we mentioned. The fact that they were able to win three games and scored a total of 11 runs in the entire series. I mean, this was quintessential Rays baseball with great defense, great catching, uh, great bullpen, obviously, good starting pitching. Yanni Chir- Chirinos, who was not even supposed to be um, going deep into the game, he went seven innings on Sunday. They were going to use an opener. They scrapped those plans and just went with Chirinos because they had taxed their bullpen a little bit. He ends up going seven, gives up just two hits and a run. So this has been as good a start for the Rays as, as probably they could have hoped for, especially against the kind of talent that they were playing in the Houston Astros. This is, by all measurements, probably one of the best teams, if not one the best team in the American League. Oh, they're offensively, they're definitely one of the best. And you held them to four runs in the final three games, and Blake Snell was not on the mound for any of those games. It's unreal. Uh, Yanni Torinos was fabulous on Sunday. I went to the game. Uh, he pitched a whale mm-hmm. of a game. The catching has been phenomenal. Mike Zanino has thrown out, uh, what, three or four base runners. Three out of four, Mike, Mike yeah. Perez is one out of one. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Guillermo Heredia played center field today. Looked fantastic out there. Kev- they gave Kevin Kiermaier the day off. Austin Meadows got all three RBI on Sunday, including a two-run shot. So that's two home runs on the season for him. Uh, just look, last year you start, you won the first game against Boston, and then you lose seven in a row to the Red Sox and Yankees. 
you end up four and thirteen before you start winning. To be two, uh, three and one now and in first place in the AL East. Now, granted, it's one series, and you know they're not going to go win three out of four the rest of the season. But it's a great start. The, the team has talked about how important the start was going to be this year. All of them in spring training were talking about we got to get off to a good start. We have to get off to a good start. They don't want to be chasing it like they were last year. And ultimately, they chased it, did well, but never made it up and, and never didn't make the playoffs. So. They want to stay ahead of that curve, and they've done that in the first series. And what's impressive is that they were able to do it after what was, you know, not one of their best played games. I mean, in terms of being able to hit and hit with runners in scoring position, they just never really got anything going against Justin Verlander. But that that can be expected. I mean, that was a great matchup between the guys that finished first and second in the American League Cy Young Award. So they they get past that. Charlie Morton makes his start as their number two starter the next night. Um, doesn't pitch deep into the game, but keeps him in it. Ends up with the win. Uh, they win that one, um, three to two, I believe. And you know, so again, when you when you're looking at this bullpen, I think pretty much we talked about with Mark Tompkin, and and, and we've discussed this, Steve, that it's possible this team will go as far as their bullpen will allow mm-hmm. them to, because we know they're going to use the openers. Um, they scrapped that plan because you know the first couple games they did get into their bullpen a little deeper than they wanted to, so. They were just going to let Chirinos go, and, and never, no way they envisioned that on Sunday that Chirinos would, you know, would pitch seven and, and give up all of two hits. But um, that said, to, to see to see against that lineup, that bullpen come in and respond the way they did with thirteen scoreless. I mean, you just can't ask for more than that. But that's what this Rays team is. I mean, we we know now, um, based on last year and in past years. I mean, they're going to play a lot of close ball games, and that seems to be okay with everybody, uh, you know, especially Kevin Cash, they just know how to win them. And, you know, so they're not going to go out there and, and bash somebody, you know, and score six or eight runs, you know, uh, every inning or, or certainly even every game. But, when it, you know, when it comes to defense, and John Ramon, Romano wrote about this in the Tampa Bay Times, they just make it look routine. And these are not routine plays that they are making um, in the outfield, in the infield, uh, really, you know, throwing guys out. I mean, pretty much – every facet of defense that that's required they were able to execute and they do it night in and night out and that's been sort of the recipe and it is it is something to watch uh and i know that the astros who were you know i was in their clubhouse after the opener they were pretty they were pretty pumped i mean that was a that was a nice way to start the season obviously with the pitching matchup that they had and and to take blake snell who was you know the best pitcher in baseball last year in the american league and score five runs off of him and and hit three bombs I mean, that was a nice way to start the season for Houston. They were pretty upbeat in that clubhouse afterwards. When they got out of town, A.J. Hinch said it. says, look, we're, we're happy to not see these guys again. And really the Rays have sort of handed it to Houston in the last couple of years. And, and, and all of them, very similar games, 3-1, to 3-2, to 4-3. I mean, they have just gotten the best of them for the most part. So what a great start uh, by, you know, by the Rays. And, and I'm not sure, you know, short of – you know, maybe scoring more runs. I mean, you know, you talk about a player like Austin Meadows. I mean, Austin Meadows, I remember last year, Joe Madden, he was with the Pirates, Austin Meadows was, and Joe Madden came in there, and they, I think they began the season with the Cubs, or it was an early early season series. And by the time they left there, I mean, Meadows was so hot that Madden thought he was going to end up being Rookie of the Year, you know. And he's kind of begun the season the same way this year, only now – He's in the big leagues, and it's it's interesting, Steve, that they weren't able to really find a place for him, you know, on a regular basis last year. He came up late, 
Um, but this obviously they've they've cleared the decks for him now, and he is off to a terrific start for him. Yeah, I think they wanted him to go down to Durham and work on a few things, and I think that's why mm-hmm. they did that instead of having him do that at the big league level last year. I mean, sure. a, a guy of his talent, they could have they could have found a spot on the roster for him last year, but I think they wanted him to work on some things first. They called him up in September, and I think mm-hmm. you're seeing you know that work, and then in spring training what he's done. But I want to get back to the bullpen. Yeah, you, know, you and I both talked a lot about Craig Kimbrell, who still isn't signed at this point. That's right. And would love to see the the Rays sign him. Now, I know he's looking for probably a three-year deal, which the Rays aren't going to do. But I worry, and, and, and it's a small sample size. It's one series. But, you know, who was going to get the that 27th out? And Alvarado mm-hmm. now has two saves, and Diego Castillo on Sunday got the save because they weren't going to pitch Alvarado in three straight games this early in the season. Right. That they've looked really good in that role. And, and we've worried about who can handle that role. And this is against a very good offensive team. Yeah. You know, so that's a that's a very good promising start that both of them have saves this early and have looked good doing so. And Diego Castillo, I mean, this is this, his first save in Major League Baseball. I mean, this mm-hmm. is not a guy that, you know, I think Alvarado had all of eight entering this season. So, yeah, for them to go out in those late innings and, and get the 27th out, um, you know, extremely impressive for them. And that that that's going to be the test. I credit the Rays, too, for having – and now, look, it can always change, right? There are still guys available. Kimbrell, you mentioned, um, you know, they are always looking to upgrade every facet of their team, particularly the bullpen. So, but, but the thing you have to credit the Rays with is having enough confidence to say, look, if we go get a Craig Kimbrell or something like that, then what do, we, what, what do we have in Alvarado? How do we know whether or not he can become the next guy, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they've done this with – um, you know, Jesus Colome, and, and there's been other guys that have been sort of given the opportunity to get into that closer role, mm-hmm. uh, and it seems like they, they're able to produce when they put them in those situations. So I credit the Rays for being confident enough in the arms that they have and saying, you know what, we're not going to gum up the works here. We're not going to clog the path for these guys. Let's let them be all they can be and put them in those situations and see, and see what they do. And, I mean, so far – Obviously, you've got you know three out of three save opportunities that have all all come through. Well, one of the things I, I like about the Rays organization, and I talk about this in a lot of organizations, not just sports, but even outside, is they don't put players in a position to fail. Is that they don't they don't hand Diego Castillo or Jose Alvarado the closer position until they're they they, they believe they're ready for it. They didn't just call them up and say you're our closer and throw them out there and let them learn on the spot. They, they kind of ease them in and train them and, and, and build them up to the right positions. And, you know, it doesn't mean a player d- doesn't succeed, but they're not out there floundering going, I'm not ready for this, and yet they've got me in this position, and they keep throwing me out there in a position I'm not ready for. And a lot of mm-hmm. it's more mental than it is the, the actual physical baseball part, particularly when it comes oh, sure. to like closing. That's a huge mental thing. That 27th out is a lot different than the fourth out of the game. Mm-hmm. And that – you know, one of the things, as much as the Rays rely on young players and are constantly calling them up, you know, part of the platooning and, and not playing a guy, you know, every day and making sure the matchups are good in that is, is putting players in a position to not flounder and fail so that they gain confidence, that they have some success, that they're not, you know, they're not just out there going, I'm in over my head, but you're just throwing me out there because you want me to learn on the spot. They don't, the Rays don't do that. And, and that's one of the things I like about the organization. Yeah, no, they, they definitely know that they put guys in position and, and you think about all the analytics and all the things that they study uh, to make sure that those guys are in that position. 
Um, again, from John Romano's column, I mean, he mentions that, uh, you know, if you look at this series, I mean, on Sunday alone, they commit they committed no errors, uh, and they gave up they gave up one walk, okay, and it was their fourth lineup in four days, and they needed four relievers to get the final six outs. Now you put those guys in those situations, all four of those relievers in situations where the matchups favor them, and they're able to come through. So that's to your point, the lineups, you know, the way they adjust their lineups to the pitching. I thought it was a great idea, not a good idea. A great idea not to play Kevin Kiermeyer on Sunday. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I just thought that was, you know, that showed me something. Now, hopefully it showed Kiermeyer something as well. Um, but they had a nice option in Heredia, who, by the way, had a couple of big hits and played a hell of a center field. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why they got him, is that he's, you know, a very plus defender in all three positions in the outfield, has speed as that's well, and, and they have hope that his bat will continue to do well too. So, you know, mm-hmm. he can back up all three outfield positions and you're not, you know, or be a late defensive replacement for Meadows possibly if you want to late in the game. I mean, I think Fam's definitely a plus defender. Kiermaier obviously is. So, um, sure. you know, really, you know, that's why they liked Heredia and they got him in that Malik Smith deal. That's right. And I also, you know, if you look at the lineups that they use, four different lineups, uh, again, against the left-hander, you know, they dropped Meadows who had let off, let off the season with a home run, mm-hmm. only the second time that's ever happened. Um, they drop him, you know, on Sunday again against the left-hander, and he winds up. Uh, he's a guy that can obviously hit from you know either lefties or righties, but um, you take him out of leadoff spot, he ends up coming up in big situations, drives in all three runs, uh, and including the uh, the home run. So uh, just a you know again the ability to uh, to adjust your lineup to create the matchups you want to take pressure off guys, put pressure on guys. Um, I think all of it, you know, certainly was on display. And it really was on display last year, too, especially in, in August and September of last year when the Rays got hot. But, they, you know, with the expectations, we talk about that a lot. And when you win 90 games, everybody say, okay, can you do it again? Can you exceed that? Here comes the Houston Astros, you know, classic Cy Young, uh, one and two matchup uh, at your place against a team that's won 100 games the last two years. And you – you know, you lose that one, but then you come back with three in a row. And I think heading into this Rocky series that they have, and then they get the big road trip coming up that starts in San Francisco. I mean, this is the sort of start that you want. Now, it's four games. It's not eight or it's not ten, but I thought Kevin Cash was funny in saying, look, at least we know we're not going to get off to that kind of start that we had last year with just, you know, the the one win. So um, just really impressive. Now, if there's some bad news, there's always bad news, right? Our boy, Matt Duffy. Man, we talked to this guy at Race Fan Fest. You know, he'd put on the extra weight. And, of course, all he was focused on is, hey, I just want to be healthy. I just want to want to uh, have the endurance because he had a good first half last year, then sort of wore down. Um, so he had done a lot of work in the offseason, maybe too much. Who knows? Um, but he had the, the story was, Steve, that he had a sort of a lingering hamstring injury. Mm-hmm. Turns out there's more than that, and he's now going to miss at least six weeks. Why didn't you ask him at FanFest about his back? Just randomly. I didn't, didn't, know, yeah, didn't know what part to ask about. I mean, that was something that was, was concealed a little bit by Matt Duffy. So apparently the trainer said, uh, well, we're going to look at some. We're going to look at your back, too. And he said, oh, funny you should say that. <laughs> your back hurt at all? Oh, you know what it does now that you mention it. It's been hurts like hell. Yeah, I mean, what 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 is with that? Um, not helping himself, and certainly not helping the ball club if you're withholding something else that's bothering you, and something 
as tricky as a back. I mean, you know, that is not something that to really be messed with. I mean, that's your core. That's everything. Um, well, so particularly they're, they're, when you know there's another injury. Sure, sure. Because when your back is hurt, and granted, I don't know, you know, if it's just some stiffness or if it's worse than that. He's kind of describing it as a disc issue, which that doesn't sound that, good. that doesn't sound good. But to me, uh, you know, if you've ever had a sore back, you compensate every other Absolutely. body part. You know that. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not an athlete, but I know that if I have a sore back, that everything else I'm compensating for Absolutely. the way I walk, the way I. I do anything. Yep. That probably led to that hamstring injury. Well, most it, and maybe it did, and, and that happens. But to not tell anybody, I just don't understand. Yeah. Well, look, he had value, uh, maybe trade value. We don't know. But uh, I'll say this: the, the the weekend or the week that the first series that Yanni Diaz had, he's gonna have a tough time getting his job back, man. Well, and the, the, the way Daniel Robertson can play third base as well, and Joey Wendell Joey can play Wendell, there. Yeah, I mean, they're all interchangeable that way. Diaz played first on Sunday, did a nice job there. Did you see the home run he hit in game two? I mean, that thing got out. What a laser to center field. I don't know if it got above uh, my head. I don't know that it did. I mean, wherever it left the bat, it stayed on that line, and I think they, they – Someone they said StatCast it. said it got 56 feet in the air. I'm like, there's no way. Yeah, it didn't look like it got that high, but I, but I will say this: it got out in like four point four something, about as fast <laughs> as Deshaun Jackson can run a forty. I mean, it it got out there in a hurry. Um, this guy, this cat has has some power, and and look, my my AL MVP candidate, I think, is Tommy Pham. Um, this guy, since since opening day, he hit you know he had two hits on opening day, but the two that he didn't uh, that were outs were hit hit better. He continues to get clutch hits. Well, 36 and, and straight has, games he's been on base. It's incredible. Which is three away from the Rays. Yeah, three, three I, think, I think 39 okay. is the record by Johnny Damon yeah. back in 2011. Unbelievable. Yeah, just uh, you know, just off to a terrific start. And brings brings the attitude, you know, brings the accountability. I mean, just when you see a guy like him play as hard as he does, he's made some mistakes. In game one, he made a base running mistake, I thought. Um, yeah, he you know, hesitated, and, and, and I think that, that really cost him ball, because you had Verlander kind of struggling the first sure. couple batters. Sure, you did. And, you know, those things are going to happen. But uh, for the most part, plays a hell of a left field and is just, uh, you know, a tough out in that lineup. You know, it's funny, after the, after game one, because Verlander had his way with him. I mean, let's be honest. After the first two innings, he settled down. And at one point, he retired 12 in a row. And they really just didn't threaten him at all. Um, but I asked Verlander after that game, I said, you know, what, what did you make of this lineup? Like, because he, he clearly sort of had his way and he had a great change up that day and everything was, everything was sharp after the first couple innings. He said, you know what? I had to grind through it. He said, it's a, it's a pretty good lineup. You know, it wasn't, it, it, I, you know, it may have looked easy for him cause he, he retired 12 in a row, but he said at the end of the day, he says, you know, these guys, they're, they're pretty formidable. I mean, it's not like, um, you can just go out there and throw anything. So um, I think I think they showed that they got timely hits. You know, this is the thing. It's like um, some two outs hit, hit some 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 you know big extra base hits, home runs. Obviously, uh, when you don't score a ton of runs, when you only score 11, 11 runs, you're obviously putting something together uh, and and coming up with clutch hits. So that was good to see. Probably struck out a little more than they wanted to in this series, but again, facing some really quality pitchers over there in Houston. And and when you navigate that lineup. Um, it look, at least one through five, one through six, that's a very good lineup for Houston. And they just weren't able to do much with Rays pitching. So great start for the Tampa Bay Rays. And and, and I'll say this too, uh, Steve, and, and look, I, 
I'm not one. I, I don't jump up and down and sell tickets and all that. I'm getting the feeling, though, and I think we had a question in the Tampa Bay Times about this, so we do these roundtables, and, and I don't know if I've participated in this one yet or not. But the question was asked um, to something to the extent of, are the Rays underappreciated in this community, you know, in this sports market? And you know what? The answer is yes. Absolutely it is. The answer is is probably a little bit of a hell yes. And I've never understood this about fans really to this to disagree. Like I hear this a lot about well, they don't spend any money. Okay. All right. Um, that should actually be a badge of honor. You know what I mean? Like you're you're up you're outspent three to one, two to one, three to one in the American League East alone, and, and yet you're still a formidable opponent. And in fact, in many ways, sort of a, you know, sort of a maverick team that other teams then follow, including the big market teams, with with some of your analytics and some of the things that you do, um, and and you win. You know, predominantly they they have won since they've changed ownerships, and um, you know you you can go back and and look at, you know, what the Rays have done since they were rebranded as that. Uh, under this ownership and it it really it should not matter i don't i don't know why it necessarily matters to fans particularly when you look at you know the revenues that they don't have okay um with the stadium with the lack of corporate support i mean they have shrunk this ballpark down to 25,025 that's the capacity okay with with tarping up everything uh, above the second level and yet i think they got maybe 16,000 one night after the opener it was eighteen thousand on Sunday. There was a lot of kids there. A lot of little leagues were there. Yeah, they and they run and they yeah mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, you know, we of course we know about the concert series that they do. They do everything they can imagine to try to 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 make it a good fan experience. But here's the biggest thing: is they do they just do a hell of a job with the baseball operations with bringing in the right guys. They've completely remade this team. Mm-hmm. you know, in, in a year's time and won 90 while they were remaking it. I mean, everybody talks about these teams that, well, they're tanking. And we said the word tank. I mean, you know, you trade mm-hmm. Evan Longoria, you, you know, Alex Cobb is not resigned. I mean, all these things that were going on and I predicted them to lose over a hundred games and no, they won 90. Okay. And, and I know it's just one series and who's to say what the future holds for any of these guys in terms of where the season is going to end up. And you, you know, you have overreaction Monday, after one series, but but at the end of the day, when you go back and you look at what they have done and what they have done it with, um, you know, they got every right to be upset that people don't come and support them. They just do. And I'm not going to tell anybody how to spend their money or where the stadium should be or, you know, if it's too far for them or they don't want to drive across the bridge. I mean, all that is an individual, you know, decision, I suppose. But in terms of just sheer um, accomplishment, with uh, with what they have riding against them, the ability to compete and do it their own unique way because they can't go out and, and sign a bunch of guys that can hit 40 or 50 home runs. I mean, I'm watching the Phillies tonight as we do this podcast uh, on Sunday Night Baseball, and they purchased a freaking all-star team, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, they just did. And they, and they had some good young players, and that's great. But you know what? The Phillies are going to probably win that division. And – I, I don't know what can happen necessarily to prevent that. Um, well, the lack, of, the lack of revenue sharing good. in baseball it makes it hard on fans. And, and it does. We, you know, look, uh, does Stu Sternberg and, and the ownership group make a ton of money off the Rays every year? I, I don't believe oh, so. Sh- I, don't, sh- I don't know sh- the numbers. 
But my guess is over the course of every couple of years, they're probably breaking even. I mean, the, owning sports franchises as a whole is not a money-making operation, but the asset itself goes up tremendously. Right. The, exactly. the NFL yeah, can be the, the exception because they make so much money. But, but the appreciation a, of the franchise yeah, There's is a lot of NBA teams is. and NHL teams that don't really make much money each year. And, and my guess is Stu Sternberg's running the Rays fairly lean. I mean, they're, they're, maybe they're making a little, but I don't, I don't think they're, he's – he's not sitting there pocketing tens of millions of dollars and not spending it on players. Is that they are at a tremendous disadvantage in baseball because there is no revenue sharing outside the national TV deals with Fox and ESPN. They share that. Mm-hmm. And then there's some taxes based on if you spend so much payroll. Then big market teams get taxed and have to share that with the smaller market teams. Right. I wonder how much of the narrative of the Rays of all that is actually the Yankees and Red Sox and other fans in this market driving that. And, and I'm sure there are some Rays well, fans that don't like Stu Sternberg because of he doesn't spend money or whatever else. And He doesn't live here. He's a New York guy. You know, you hear – I mean, I hear all the narratives. So here's what I know. You're finding a reason to not like him when those are the reasons. Right. That, that you're – yeah, you're looking awfully hard. And, and, of course, it always comes back to, well, they don't spend the money. Well, that's – listen <laughs> – where are the revenues coming from? I mean, they don't have a, a, an abundance of corporate support. They don't have a stadium deal that has a lot of revenue streams that, mm-hmm. um, you know, would normally – and its location has certainly been proven to be an issue, uh, whether you agree that it's better or worse in St. Petersburg or Tampa or wherever the hell you want to put it. Um, so they have some things against them. It's market size in and of itself. But the fact that they've been able to be competitive and um, – and, and look, I know, you know, Sure, two years ago, you know, they, they, they were not winning. And, and three years ago, they weren't winning then either. And, and so right. there's been – They had to rebuild their drought. whole farm system. I mean, their farm system right. was depleted. It was depleted. You That's know, right. The, they, the one they, secret is when Andrew Friedman left, this organization was not in great shape. Mm-mm. The farm system was, was near the bottom in baseball. And it was the drafts have been bad. That's right. And they and they they had to, they, you know. In 2011, they, they signed – if you remember, they signed all these veterans throughout the season. Yep, they were signing guys in August and September just to play out the rest of the season, and it was all to get draft picks the next year. And with the exception mm-hmm. of like Blake Snell, that draft stunk mm-hmm. for the Rays. Is that mm-hmm. they had done a horrible job over years of drafting. Now, they did a tremendous job during those years with Andrew Friedman of trading for players and finding gems of players that were struggling at another team. They tweak something with them and and all of a sudden make them all star. Jeff Kepinger and, and players like that. Where they would, you know, find somebody and, and all of a sudden comes here and they're hitting three hundred and doing really well. They were the, the that group was tremendous at that. They did not do a good job stocking the farm system. This current group of Neander and Heinblum and all that, for, for a couple of years they struggled because they were rebuilding the farm system and they were trading veterans to get a lot of pieces in the minors and they were they've drafted a lot better and they've used some of the international signing money a lot better. And now you're seeing the fruits of that labor. Is that? You know, yes, they added Charlie Morton, which is great, but all these young guys coming up from, you know, Brandon Lau, who now just signed a big deal, and Nate Lowe's coming up, and you've got Brendan McKay, and, you know, you Wander Franco in the farm system, and you just have, you have, I mean, I believe it's the number two farm system in baseball by most experts, you know, analysis at this point. Plus, they got a 90 win team on the field, and they got the number two farm system. Yeah, no, that's they're not in, bad place. Their organization's in great shape. It is, and that's what I mean. Organizationally, uh, I think people in baseball recognize their brilliance and what they've been able to do with what they had. When, they, when they're when they un, unable to, to re-sign 
um, you know, certain players or they trade them away and they get assets back and those guys develop into major league players or core players that you have, like a Willie Adamas, for example. Um, you know, that's that's just getting it done, you know. Uh, and, and we saw them, you know, part with Jake Bowers, who, you know, looked like he was going to be one of their, their, their future. And they bring in a guy like Yandy Diaz, who – um, you know, is off to a good start for him. So, look, they, they just continue to, to do a good job. I know it's one series. I don't want to re- overreact. But that was the question that, we, that was posed to us. And, and, and just for my, from the outside looking in, I, I think that, um, you know, they, they, they are underappreciated uh, for, for what they've been able to do in baseball. Now, people in baseball don't. They appreciate them. They see um, what they're up against. And, they copy and, them. And, Again, they copy them, and that's the you know that's the biggest form of flattery there is. The Braves are doing some of these things out of necessity because they can't, you know, they can't field a, a pitching staff with, you know, four twenty-five million dollar pitchers, and so um, they came up with the concept of the opener if they only had two or three starters in the rotation. And now other teams in baseball have copied that, and it may end up revolutionizing baseball. Who knows? You might have a situation where uh, the game is even more specialized, like it is in the NFL with down and distances and situations and, and inning by inning. But, um, you know, these, these are sort of the things that, that people in baseball recognize and see and, and marvel at. And again, a team like the Houston Astros. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Comes in here, wins the first game with uh, Justin Verlander, and they beat Blake Snell, and they're probably thinking, well, this is off. We're off to a pretty good start here, and then they walk out with three straight losses. That's not easy to do. Um, I know the Rays were at home, but for them to pick themselves up after last year's start and and make sure that they were able to uh, to get off like that, it's it's a compliment to them. Now, speaking of the other team uh, that is on <clears throat> the verge of a historic season, the Tampa Bay Lightning. What the heck happened? They had four days off, Steve, and they kind of sleptwalk through the first period or so of that Washington game on Saturday. They looked like they had four days off. And they looked like a team that had nothing to play for. That too. I mean, you know, they've got five games in eight days starting this past Saturday. And, you know, it just kind of, it looked like they were sleepwalking through it. I mean, you know, and, you know, I don't put much, you know, I don't sit there and worry too much about it at this point. It's one game. They, they kind of found their legs later in the game. You know, but the first period, they were definitely, you know, they were a step behind. Everything was sloppy. Passes weren't as crisp as they normally are. They had trouble coming out of their zone. And, and generally, Turnovers, when they yeah. come out of, when they came out of, you know, starting the season, they had a week off before they started the season. And they were sloppy the first couple games. When they came out of the, the bye week and all-star break, they were sloppy for a few games. When they came out of the Christmas break, which is only three or four days long, you know, they, lost, they won both games, but it was 6-5 both games. They were sloppy games. When they come out of long breaks, they tend to be sloppy. And I think they're such a precision, skilled team that when you get that break, those three, four days off, you're just the little things aren't as crisp. The passes aren't, aren't quite on the tape. It's just a little bit off. It's bouncing just off your stick a little bit. And, I, you know, 
we'll see over time. But, uh, you know, they played a really good Washington team who's still fighting to trying to win their division. And they came out looking like they had they were had some rust on them after a few days off. Yeah, and I think Washington, you know, did not want to be swept, uh, mm-hmm. you know, by Tampa Bay. They wanted to at least have one game that they could could put something in the back of their minds, and they did that. Uh, the one thing I will say is that at least these past four games, they've fallen behind in each of them. Now they managed to mm-hmm. come back and win some of them, but defensively, and, and I know they've had some injuries, and we can talk about. Victor Hedman, for example, who who had to leave the game and did not return. But are you worried at all about the way they've started games on defense? And especially like like you mentioned, getting it out of their own zone, um, giving up that early goal, and putting themselves sort of in the hole. Because in the postseason, that first goal usually means a hell of a lot towards winning. If there's anything that concerns me, it's that. It's that those first period they just don't seem like they're – it's like, you know, the game starts at 7.30, but they think it's 8.30. <laughs> right. You know, they're just it, – it, that part of it, you know, that worries me a little bit because now you're seeing it over the course of a week that it's happened. That, yeah. That they're starting yeah. – they just look a little behind. You know, now granted, you know, if you go back to the St. Louis game, they didn't, they didn't get dominated. There was a minute 15 stretch. They gave up three goals. That was bad. Right. Um, you know, so is it something to keep an eye on this week is they've got four on the road? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, at the same time, this team has nothing to play for outside of records. And while yeah. I think they'd like to get the records, I don't think it's that really that high of a priority for them. You know, I think probably each player is individually working on some things and wants to make sure they're ready. And, and most importantly, you're trying to stay healthy, which will lead me to my next point of why are you fighting? Uh, that's a good question. If you're Eric Chernak, why are you fighting with Tom Wilson? Yes, everyone would think- love to take a swing at him. Why? Mm-hmm. You're, you're the third most important defenseman on this team. You're part of the shutdown pair with McDonough. Why are you fighting a week before But the you saw that coming, though, in the last two games, well, Wilson right? I mean, was baiting, were, Wilson was baiting him into it. But if you're Chernak, he got what you he cannot wanted. fall for that. Yeah, and in fact, to that point, I mean, as, as you know, there is a part, and I know, I'm reading the quotes by the Lightning talking about how, hey, it's good sometimes to stand up for each other, you know, and at some point you, you can't let the bully push you around. But Chernak took a hell of a shot. I mean, I don't know if mm-hmm. he broke his nose, but but they mentioned after the game, John Cooper did, that, that he was hurt, mm-hmm. you know, in that fight. And that's what you can't have, to your point. You yep. can't be losing anybody um, simply because you wanted to take on, you know, to take on the tough I, guy. I didn't really like the Sorelli fight either, although that one, you know, I thought he was standing up for himself more. The Chernak-Wilson that one. That was I more mean, organic. I mean, yeah, everything this was, was kind of done, and planned. Wilson was, was pulling him along and baiting him into it. Absolutely. You know, the Sorelli one was, you know, they, 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 they hit Brain Point pretty hard on the other, although I thought it was a clean yeah. check. Well, he was sticking up for somebody. I mean, it was, but, it was but organic. I thought, but then know? Sorelli laid a clean check, and Washington mm-hmm. didn't like that. And that's right. where that fight started. So I can understand that one a little more. The Chernak one was, wasn't like you just got laid a dirty hit on, and so you're, you know, protecting yourself no. or defending yourself. That's, you know, and Chernak's a rookie. He's young still. You, you know, hopefully he's going to learn from this that you're too valuable to go fight that guy at that time for that reason. There was no reason to fight that at that point. No. Is no. He, it, he's pulling you aside from everyone else trying to get you to, to fight because he wants to, to hurt you or take you out of your game. And, and there's no reason for that if you're Eric Chernak. Now, he's a young player. You learn from that and don't do that again because you gain nothing from that fight. Even if he, even and, if Chernak had won the fight, you gain nothing from it. Outside the crowd going the, nuts if he wins, but 
Yeah, exactly. In the minors, I mean, he's a tough guy. He's a big guy. He fought, you know, people didn't want to fight him coming up uh, through the ranks. But, yeah, I mean, they as Diane and Eros wrote, I mean, they had everything but a weigh-in. You know what I mean? Like you, you could. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was almost like it was it was scripted, and that's exactly what Tom Wilson wanted, and he mm-hmm. got what he wanted, mm-hmm. um, and he hurt the kid. You know, and uh, to what extent we don't know. Hopefully, nothing serious. But um, and it was entertaining for a little bit, and then finally he took a shot. I think took near two the face of them. Really, and, he took two. Yeah, and, and went down and went down hard. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it was not it was not smart, and you know you can't like like you said there are certain players you can't lose, and now. You know, Victor Hedman would be one of those guys. The, the Lightning have to hope and be careful with him. I think anybody who is nicked up, Steve, to your point, they have nothing to play for. I mean, they're, you know, they received the President's Trophy on Saturday night. That was a cool moment. Um, it was a cool moment to see Steven Stamkos, you know, um, accept the silver stick for his, uh, you know, most goals in franchise history. And Benny LeCavier was there. I mean, that was all all good stuff. But that's all ceremonial now. Nothing else really is is left Mm-hmm. to play for they have an outside shot at setting history which i'm sure they'd love to do in the course of playing but but i think at this point if you have a guy who's nicked if you have a guy who's hurt and for that matter i would even consider because i was thinking about this the other night like stamkos is in that game it's six to three there's there's a minute left and he's on the ice you know it, it just it was it was weird to me it's like it's well, ho- hockey's it, hard because you don't you have take guys and sit them down yeah, it, yeah it's right. harder i mean yeah. you can limit minutes but it's harder to Sit them out they're dressed, the rest they're of the playing. Game or right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, that, that's a harder sport to do that in than any other. It is. Once you're in the lineup. I mean, if you're it out is. of the game, that's obviously. But, but boy, I'd be, I'd be tempted to take Kucherov and put him on the bench for well, a Well, I don't think you'll see Kucherov sit because I think he wants to make sure he gets the scoring title you're this probably year. Right. Yeah, you're probably um, right. I would right like to that. see Stamco sit one of the two games tonight or tomorrow. You got a back to back. This is when you, this is, you got a chance to sit some guys. That's right. Um, now, defensively, I don't know if you're going to get a chance to sit at McDonough because, I mean, Strawman looks like uh, he's going to be back on this numbers, trip. Right? Yeah. But depending on Chernak and Hedman's health at this point, um, that you may not have that option with McDonough. But, if right. you know, do I want to sit Stamkos and, you know, because he's one of the older players on the team too. I mean, Callahan's the only forward over 30. Stamkos is 29. True. Um, and his injury prone that, okay, there's a back-to-back coming up against Ottawa and, and – uh, Montreal. Okay, sit him for one of those games. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got you, – you, let's get Danik Martell in, see what he can do in case you're going to need him in the playoffs. You probably want to get him a game or two in. You know, I, I I would like to see them do that. I don't know if they will tonight or tomorrow night. You know, Thursday and, and Saturday, then you've got Toronto and Boston, so you may want your, your full guys in there. Plus, you know, Thursday, Saturday, I think you're going to want your regulars playing because they're going to have – after Saturday, you're not playing again until Wednesday. So you've got three off days in between. You know, you don't want to sit your guys on Saturday because you don't want to give them like a week off in between. So probably Thursday, Saturday, all your regulars are going to play. But Monday, Tuesday, with a back-to-back, you got a chance to sit a couple guys. And I'd like to – I hope they do that. I don't know if they will. Yeah. I think, again, if, if anybody's got anything tweaked or, or, you know, needs an extra day, especially for injuries, I think they're going to have to be really careful and try to get guys back as close to 100% as they can for the postseason. But, you know, to your point, you only have so many players, so you're going to have to – somebody's got to play. Um, the Bucks today, by the way, they'll be at uh, their training facility. First time, you know, April 1st is the date when veterans and, and uh, players can come back into the facility and actually have contact with their coaches. It's a weird deal. It's, it's part of the negotiated 
um, collective bargaining agreement that these guys, you know, insisted on being away um, from their teams and not made to do anything with their coaches until uh, this point of the off season, April 1st. So um, it's, again, it's, it's voluntary. It's not like, you know, they need 90 guys in there or how many guys are on the roster right now. Uh, and there will be some absences, but I think, uh, you know, this is sort of an exciting time, especially for a new coaching staff to have a chance to actually interact with these guys and get them on the grass and, they can't go out there as a group on the field just yet. This is mostly, you know, uh, conditioning and physical training and this sort of stuff and classroom work. But they can begin the process of sort of starting the 2019 season. And I think uh, the quarterback, Jameis Winston, already began that, I guess, recently in the last few days. Uh, as they have done in the past, him and Mike Evans were at Texas A&M along with some other receivers. It looked like maybe O.J. Howard was there. I'm not sure. Um, some of this was posted on Instagram, throwing at Texas A&M. So they've already begun uh, the process of, of their own organized uh, workouts, if you will, and getting some guys on the same page with Jameis Winston. So that's sort of what he's been about ever since he came to the NFL. He's not afraid of work. He's some guy that uh, wants to you know, get guys together and makes it easy for a guy like Mike Evans, who you know is in uh, Texas and can go to his former school and, and, and throw on the side. I'll be interested to see if Jerry McCoy is there today. Um, you know, it, it would be unusual if he wasn't, and I think it would also be telling because Gerald is not one that would miss something like that on the first day. We have, in fact, you know, the Bucks typically make some players available. Uh, we can request them, but generally they just trot out who they want to trot out. And very often it is Gerald McCoy. You know, I remember I think it was a year ago at this time, and they had all the offseason acquisitions and on the defensive line whether it was, you know, Vinny Curry or Jason Pierre-Paul, Bo Allen, some of those guys. I think I want to say we talked to Gerald uh, this time a year ago when, when he showed up for offseason workouts. I'm I'm going to guess he's he's not going to be there. That's that's my my gut instinct. Saw some mock drafts over the weekend and, and an interesting scenario that was raised, which was, you know, obviously the Bucks think that they have an asset in Gerald McCoy, even though, Bruce Arians probably didn't help his value by coming out and saying he's not the same player he was four years ago. But that said, um, you know, we've talked about the possibility of a trade. He's got that $13 million contract. Well, what about this? And this was raised in a mock draft. What if, say, the Bucs wanted to move up a few spots somewhere in the draft, maybe even in the first round? And a team like, say, San Francisco, who was picking second, um, would flop spots with them in the first round and – in, in you know for compensation of that, take Gerald McCoy. So in other words, you know let's say the Bucks wanted in any round, but let's say it was the first round they wanted to go to two and get the number two or maybe the number one defensive lineman in the draft, and the 49ers would move back a few spots and and for doing that they would they would you know pick up Gerald McCoy. Um, it's reasonable that that could happen at some point during this draft that Gerald might be traded, uh, and it might not be for you know a given pick like a third rounder a fourth rounder a fifth rounder or something like that it might just be to you know to be flexible to move move up or back uh in the draft i heard somebody else mention this with uh, the new england patriots that you know what if the patriots who pick 37th um or i'm sorry the bucks who would pick 37th in the second round um would would trade joe mccoy to the patriots and move up five spots and take the last pick in the first round you know something like that so We'll see if that comes to pass, but I'll be interested to see if uh, McCoy is part of the group that shows up. And we may or may not know. They may or may not tell us. I'll, I'll certainly try to find out and just uh, trying to contact Gerald. But 
Um, that all begins. It's uh, sort of the unofficial official beginning of the offseason workout program there for the Bucks, and um, Gerald McCoy will be on the minds of a lot of people. Okay, Steve, and now the uh, Final Four is set. You probably have as good a bracket as anybody I've heard in the nation right now because there's only one number one seed, and it is not Duke. It's Virginia, the only number one seed that is left. They're going to face Auburn in uh, one of the semifinals in Minneapolis. And Michigan State upset Duke, and they're going to take on Texas Tech, which is a surprising team, I think, uh, in the other national semifinals. So Michigan State, Texas Tech, Virginia, and Auburn. And you had two of those teams, right? I did. I, my bracket wasn't that great, but I did get two of the five. I had Michigan State and I had Virginia. That's pretty good. So I had Kentucky and Florida State as the other two teams in my bracket. But Right. All these games were great, by the way. I think all, this, all the, um, you know, the games, the regional mm-hmm. finals were, were terrific. Yes. You know, the, the, I'll talk about the Michigan State upset of Duke just for a minute. I was you know, not was sold inter- on Duke, and we talked about this well, before you the weren't. tournament. And I, I thought and Virginia looked, Tech would handle them in the Sweet 16. They almost did. They almost did, and UCF, frankly, had them beat. The uh, ball rimmed yes, out, yes. Uh, you know, including two, a putback shot. Or, or, you know, Duke has been flirting with disaster during this entire tournament. But when you have a player like Zion Williamson, who is, you know, one of the best players we've seen in this tournament, I mean, his size, mm-hmm. um, his ability to take the, the final shots. You know what was surprising was he, he finishes with 24 points and 14 rebounds, and they couldn't stop him when he wanted to power his way to the basket. He, he was going to score or he's going to get fouled or fouled and get scored. Do you realize he did not take a shot the last three possessions of this game? Um, it was surprising to me. It was stunning that they did somehow make him more of a focal point uh, down down the stretch. But you had R.J. Barrett, um, who, you know, hit hit some three pointers, but uh, he he missed a drive in the lane with 50 seconds. Then he missed a three pointer with 12 seconds. Then he got fouled on the drive uh, with around five seconds left. But Williamson's last shot, and this is stunning to me in a game that you lose by what one point. Um, his last shot came with a minute and 41 left in the game. Well, but that, that, when you have a lot of young players and you're relying on a lot of freshmen on the court, they don't yeah. always make the best decisions. No, you know, they don't. Th- there's something to be said for experience in those situations. And Absolutely. You know, I mean, look, R.J. Barrett's a great freshman. Zion Williamson's incredible. Yep. But, you know, they're not always – you know, that there, there is something to be said for experience. And in the NCAA tournament, experience can mean a lot. doesn't always, but it, it definitely means a lot. The pressure, the – Everything that's going on, the the size of the crowds, the everything that happens there, it's different yeah. than the regular season, and different even than your conference tournament, especially as you're getting to a regional final. Right. That that you don't always make the best decisions, and R.J. Barrett, you, you know, and, and it, some of it's Shashevsky, but you know, it doesn't mean he didn't call a play that was supposed to go to Zion, no, and, and no. the defense changes it. And, and look, the defense is obviously aware and, and trying to sure. overplay him and, and and put the ball in somebody else's hands mm-hmm. if they can. Yep. So that's that's all part of it. Um, but yeah, tough, tough one for him, uh, as great as he was, you know, it's a shame we won't see that. him in the final four. It's, it is the it type kind of talent of is. he is. Yeah, it kind of is. And, and cause I think he's, he's going to be one of these guys that's talked about in the NBA for years and years to come. Obviously there's, you know, comparisons cause of his size to LeBron James and that sort of thing, which might be silly, but, um, nonetheless, and you do, you forget how young these players are at Duke. Uh, and, and across the nation, when you have a freshman, these guys were playing high school a year ago. Mm-hmm. Some of them are 19 years old, and, and they're in the biggest spotlight. Of course, they've been special their whole lives, but um, it is a big stage. And, and um, it, you know, th- these were all really – I mean, these games could have gone any way. Um, 
certainly the Duke game could have gone the other way. The Purdue game, here's I want to get your opinion of this because I, I, I said it at the time I wasn't a real big fan of it, but you know Carson Edwards, who was fantastic in this game, I mean, he was hitting three-pointers. Both teams were, but this guy was launching from 28, 29, 30 feet sometimes. He had one of the best games I've ever seen. I think he set an NCAA record for threes in the tournament, but he had 42 points. He was just phenomenal, okay? So there's there's 20 seconds left, okay? And Virginia's down by three, all right? And they got Ryan Klein, who's a, who's a great uh, free throw shooter, a great shooter in general. He's at the line uh, for the second of two free throws, okay? So it didn't look good for Virginia at this point, all right? Um, but Klein misses, all right? So... Purdue was was trying to uh, avoid a, a game tying three pointer. Okay, they could not unless they fouled the guy in the act of shooting a three pointer and he made the three pointer and then the free throw. They're not going to be behind. They've got overtime and maybe another shot if if it happens fa- fast enough. Um, but they go ahead and they and they deliberately foul Ty Jerome because they don't want him to, to launch a three. And I was saying, ah, I don't know, man. It's going to be a pressure three, right? And you're going to you're going to try to prevent it, obviously. Uh, if the guy drives the lane and, and scores a two, you're okay with that. So you're going to overplay the three because you're up by three. You just want to prevent, but you can't foul him out there, obviously. But they foul him intentionally, more or less. And Jerome, well, definitely intentionally. So Jerome goes up there. He makes the first front end of the one and one And then I think he deliberately missed the second one, uh, but it got tapped out, right? Um, so then you have – it goes all the way to the backcourt. And uh, uh, Kihi Clark uh, goes back, and, and, he, and he finds um, their big man, uh, Mamadi uh, Diakiti, uh, underneath. And he gives it to him in, in the paint, and he barely beats the buzzer um, for the game-tying uh, shot, and they go to overtime. And I just – I know coaches talk about, well, we're down – you know, uh, only a three can tie it or beat us. If it could have beat you, maybe I see the, the strategy there. But I just felt like uh, I would have – I think I would have just rather played defense in that situation. I, I would rather, too. Look, the, the things that can hurt you when you're up, especially three, is stopping the clock. Sure. Giving them points when the clock has stopped. That's exactly right. Good point. Yeah. That, you know, look, uh, even the best three-point shooters, let's say they're shooting at 40%. You're going to miss six out of ten times. Six out of ten times, and, and you're going to overplay for the three, which let them go drive the lane p- past you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You invite them to do that. You know, sure. So, and, and, and you know – you're probably taking two or three shooters that you're really playing the tough defense on because there's right. going to be other shooters that aren't going to hit it at 40%. They're not three-point shooters, right? Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. they may put all three-point shooters up, but some are going to be better than others. So mm-hmm. I would rather I would rather play defense in that because at worst case, what are you going to do? Go to overtime. That's right. You got it in your favor. You're up three. The only thing you can't do in that scenario it's is foul a guy from a three-pointer. And, I, and that's fine as long as you say no fouls, but let's play the perimeter. You know, let's come yeah. out. Leave the inside open if they want to drive the lane. If they want to dump it inside, get the easy two, whatever. We're not going to foul them. You know, you, obviously, even if you foul them laying the ball up, and they only get one free throw. Um, so unless they miss and get the rebound and put it back in, you're still in good shape. I just hate you. You make the best point there. Don't why stop the clock? Because the clock is the pressure. You know, the clock is the thing that mm-hmm. they're battling most, most of all. And even though it was a tremendous play. Um, you know, for the kid to, to run the ball down, first of all, batting it out on the rebound and then to run the ball down and then find an open man underneath the basket and him, for him to get the shot off right before the buzzer and make it, those are all remarkable plays by Virginia. And they certainly deserve to, to be in the Final Four and, and, and they won in overtime, did a good job in overtime, they win. 
but man, I just hate, I hate the idea of, it's almost like you're too smart. You know what I mean? Like, well, you're up by three. If you'd have fouled them, then they're going to the line and they can't beat you. Ah, just, you just play the game. You mm-hmm. know, there's enough pressure. These are 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids. Um, believe me, there's, they feel enough pressure. Uh, and the, and the kid, you know, again, the guy made a pressure shot, but it was, it was such a heavyweight fight. You know, you hated to see it end. Um, and there were so many great performances and, and Carson Edwards was just remarkable with 42. Um, so that, that to me was one of the better games of, of the weekend. So we got our final four. And so I'll say, who do you got? I mean, are you going with Michigan state all the way? I'm going to stay with my original pick, Michigan state. I think they face wow. Auburn. Yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll play Auburn. And then I think Virginia is probably going to win the other game. I'm taking um, Auburn over Virginia. So, Oh, you're taking Auburn over Virginia. Okay. Yeah. I had Kentucky so got, originally, but I'm gonna. So I think, I think Auburn. State, I think Bruce Pearl is gonna find a way to cheat and win. So they and you say they they <laughs> cheat and win. So that's, well, that's all Bruce beat, Pearl does. He's well, a hell he of a coach, but he cheats all everywhere he goes. <laughs> he, he has gotten in trouble. So so you've got you've got Michigan State then playing Auburn in the final. They beat Texas Tech, and then you've got Virginia losing to Auburn. So uh, that that'll make Charles Barkley very happy. Do you see Charles and uh, that's not uh, terrible. <laughs> This is a great. He said he was like, "It's the greatest day for Auburn basketball." And I'm thinking, didn't you play for Auburn basketball? You probably had some pretty good days down there. But no, this is the great. It it's was first, it was the a, first ever Final Four. So first one there, yeah, first time there. And Tom Izzo, by the way, and I could be wrong about this, because uh, after the game they interviewed Tom Izzo, and um, I'm trying to think of who who's the girl that's always on with uh, with Jim Nance and them. Um, the Bonnie Bernstein, uh, Tracy Wolf, or Tracy, no, Tracy Wolfson. Yeah, you're going way back. But yeah, Tracy yeah. Wolfson was there, and she's always – she says, coach, not coach, but coach. Uh, so she's talking to Izzo, and she's, coach, you know, given all the, all the uh, um, you know, sort of the struggles you've had against Duke. And he goes, struggles, really? He goes, 1-11. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> that's not good. I think he's 1-11 against Duke in the tournament. That's unbelievable. I don't know if it's just uh, in the tournament. I think it's – I think that includes the last season, too. The last 12 or yeah, something? I mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Duke has owned Michigan State. They've recently. owned them, and I didn't realize that that was the case. He had tears in his eyes. Look, there's not going to be many more chances for Tom Izzo or for Mike Krzyzewski for that matter. But this was not – like, you, you follow the Big Ten a lot closer than I do, but this was not – Supposed to be a great Michigan State team. I mean, they kind of grinded their way to this. Well, they did. They well, were they've, very, they've had very some good. injuries. I mean, they've got some players out too. So, uh, yeah. You know, Cassius Winston's a great point guard. He um, is. You know, and, and when you have a great veteran point guard, you can overcome and, and control a lot. It's huge in the tournament. In the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but Michigan State, look, they won the Big Ten regular season or tied with Purdue, and then they won the conference yeah, they tournament. Were good. So, no, they were great. I mean, I they thought they should have been a one seed. I mean, if you're Duke. And you're the number one overall seed in the tournament. How is Michigan State your two seed? Well, I thought, not, they should, not, I thought they should have been a one seed over North Carolina myself. But right, but even then, do you? Why do you put them in the same the same region? Well, I mean, so I that's, mean, Michigan State wasn't the eighth team in the. No. you know they were probably fifth. Right. So how do they end up in Duke's bracket? They shouldn't have been. They shouldn't have been. But Duke should have but, also, you know, probably UCF and Virginia Tech should have beat Duke. So. That's true. They were playing with fire, and it mm-hmm. finally got them against a really good team. And, and um, So, yeah, great games over the weekend. Um, we've got uh, lots of action this week with uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning. They've got back-to-back, as you mentioned, Steve. Yeah, they're in uh, Ottawa, t- or, or, yeah, Ottawa tonight, then Montreal on Tuesday night, then they're in Toronto on Thursday, and then they wrap up in Boston, a 1 o'clock start Saturday in Boston. So 
Lightning will be back Saturday night in Tampa Bay and have three days off before they'll open the playoffs. It looks like uh, April 10th on that Wednesday as based on arena events that weekend yep. on Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. So it looks like the Lightning will open on Wednesday and Friday. Right. The Lightning, of course, uh, on the road, I think, because of the women's Final Four. Yes. Um, which uh, begins over the weekend uh, here at Emily Arena. So that that's always a big event, something uh, that I know the area is excited about. We'll talk about that more as we get closer to, uh, to having those teams. I know that Oregon uh, punched their ticket, yep. as a matter of UConn's fact. UConn's uh, coming for the you know 28th yep. straight year or something like that. That's right. I think it's 12 um, straight. But but not the number one ranked team in the country, though. No. Interestingly no, enough. No, they've made 12 straight Final Fours for Gino right. Ariema. In fact, Gino... Uh, recommended or suggested at least that maybe Tampa become the permanent home of the women's That would be fantastic. (laughs) Be all for that, man. I know the Frozen (laughs) Four the Frozen Four loves coming to Tampa Bay. Oh, they do. They 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 were they were hesitant to come the first time and then after they did they're like, yeah, we're coming back a lot. Right, right, exactly. Now it's a great venue for that and they do a terrific job. We've also got uh, the Rays beginning their series against the uh, Colorado Rockies. This is a team that you don't see here. That's a playoff uh, team from last year again, too. They won 91 games last year. So That's right. I mean, the schedule gods did uh, the Rays no favors to open with the Astros and the Rockies before going on a West Coast road trip. That's true. And then, of course, USF, congratulations to the Bulls. They're in their CBI championship final. Final series, game one against DePaul. This one's uh, in Chicago, right? Does no, this one's at the Yingling Center tonight. Oh, it does start at the yeah. Yingling Center. Okay. Yeah, games two and three would be at DePaul Wednesday and then Friday if necessary. Okay, so game one at the Yingling Center. And uh, you know what? Um, in, in thinking about this, this has been a great run for them. And there's a good story by Joey Knight in the Tampa Bay Times about how teams that have made it to the final of this tournament, and it's not the NIT and it's not the NCAA. They weren't good enough to do that. But teams that have progressed and made it to the final of this tournament have done very, very well afterwards. And this is a team that is a young young basketball team that's taken advantage of being able to practice and play for another two and a half, three weeks, mm-hmm. um, almost a month more uh, to develop and, and to also get tournament experience, which mm-hmm. I think Successful is, is so Successful tournament critical. experience. Exactly, right. Uh, and, and coming back, you know, they came back in a game, I think they were down like 25 or something like mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. uh, they've, they've done a nice job, and uh, congratulations to them. So hopefully a lot of people go out uh, to the Yingling Center at USF and, and watch this first game against DePaul, which has, look, a storied name and uh, a team that um, has done very well in their own rights this year. So a uh, pretty good matchup there. So it's going to be a busy week. Of course, I'll be at One Buck Place uh, talking to uh, whoever they provide for us. I would think Jameis Winston perhaps. Might be a guy that we talk to, but it's the first day of uh, them to report in the off-season workout program. So plenty of stuff on tap for you guys this week, as well as we still will be playing my interview with Bucks co-chairman Joel Glazer sometime later this week as well. So busy weekend. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed the recap of all of that. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times for Steve Versnick. Have a great Monday, everybody. 